My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. Our Sunday School is part of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. To prepare for this lesson, please go to OurSundaySchool.com for a copy of today's handout. Now, let's get to this week's lesson. Mark chapter 15. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him! So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, This man was the Son of God. 
There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph, and of Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when the evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who also was himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph brought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Mark chapter 15. So we are quickly transitioning into the part of Mark, uh, kind of the crescendo of the book, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And we're to this point in the suffering of Christ that a lot of people, uh, to be quite honest, skip over a bit. We don't really spend a lot of time on the few moments before the cross. We spend a lot of time talking about Jesus on the cross, what he does for us there. But there was a process, there was prophecy that had to be fulfilled, and we'll talk about some of that as we go through today, uh, before Jesus ever gets put on the cross itself. So let's take a look. We'll start in verse 16 today. So we're Mark 15, 16. So it says, And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters. Now, <clears throat> if you, if you want to look at, so I'm a big fan of footnotes. Um, and if you look at the footnote next to this verse, this governor's headquarters, uh, in the ESV it says the Greek is the praetorium. Uh, so I want to I talk for just a second about the praetorium. But first I want to talk to you about a concept that you're probably aware, with, aware of, and that's Air Force One. So let's talk about Air Force One for just a second, because I think the analogy here will work pretty easily. So uh, the President of the United States, when the President gets on an airplane, what is that airplane's call sign? Air Force One, right. So let's say the President gets off of that plane. Is that plane still Air Force One? No. The President gets on a different plane. What is that different plane's call sign? Air Force One. All right, cool. Good. You got it. So when the governor of a Roman province spent the night somewhere, the common colloquial term for wherever he spends the night is the praetorium. And the problem with this, and go ahead and hit this slide for me, Dave, is it makes biblical geography shockingly difficult. So I'll show you a couple of things here. So this is a different view of, uh, of uh, Jerusalem. And so has anybody been to Jerusalem? You ever been to Jerusalem, anybody? Jerusalem's like shockingly bigger today. Like it actually, it got a lot bigger, what was it, uh, 35 years or so after Jesus uh, died. Like it's, it's shockingly bigger today. But this is like the, the core of the old city, if you will. So you got the Mount of Olives over here, the temple construct. Uh, you've got Herod's palace. And uh, just next to the temple, you've got the fortress of Antonia. And if you... If you were to read a commentary or a footnote in your Bible, most of them will stop and say praetorium, because it's basically the Greek word 
for this particular building. The challenge is that some archaeologists believe that it's here in the fortress of Antonia, and some archaeologists believe that it's Herod's palace. And the reason is that Herod and Pilate didn't really get along. So if you're coming into town to check up on a city, do you want to stay with somebody that you don't really get along with? Well, probably not. But if you've ever been to Jerusalem, and I have not, but the size of Herod's palace was large enough you're not going to bump into somebody if you don't want to, right? This is not like if you come over and spend the night at my house, you're going to bump into me. Like this is, you, we're, this is just the way this is going to happen, right? Not the size of this building. So we, we think that it was probably at Herod's palace, which would make all of the other gospels that talk about Pilate sent Jesus off to Herod and Herod sent him back to Pilate. You know, you got this, it's like a... <laughs> If you thought government bureaucracy was a new thing, just read through the gospel. Like it is, it is not a new thing, right? We're handing them off, we're handing them off, we're handing them off. It would have been shockingly easy to do this if you're all staying in the same place. Does that make sense? So we, we think we're, they're very tightly located here. Now the other thing that's about to happen, you keep looking at the bottom of your handout, uh, they called together the whole battalion. Now, this word for battalion, it, it means, uh, <laughs> I, I love how broad some words have meaning, because there are two possible meanings for this particular word, two glosses. One is a Roman military cohort, and the other is a squad of Levitical janitors. And it, it feels like this is one of those, you know, the cookies are on the lower shelf for the translators here to figure out, like, which one should we go? Yes, we should absolutely go with a Roman military cohort. Now, if you look at the footnote here, this word basically means a tenth of a Roman legion. And a Roman legion would have been 6,000 men. A tenth of that would be 600 men. So think about this for a second. 600 Roman soldiers who are, who are in a place with a common long history of revolt and insurrection. So these are guys that are just on alert all the time. You know, this is not the, uh, well, I'm, you know, I'm on duty today and I'm going to guard, uh, I don't know, what, what would be a really simple thing to guard if you're a soldier? I've got a couple soldiers in here. Any, like a cemetery, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going to guard it? Like I, I think we probably, you know, this seems like a pretty low-stress, easy job, right? Cool. This was not that. Right. They're anticipating from what the religious elite have communicated to the Roman authorities that Jesus is an insurrectionist and he's going to whip up and he's, he's proclaimed himself to be king and this is a problem for you. So he brings in 600 Roman soldiers. Now, without the, the, a little bit of historical context, 600 Roman soldiers seems like a shocking overkill for what you actually have to deal with here, right? I mean, this seems just to be ridiculously too much effort in place. But I, I just wanted to just make sure we got the, the context. Now, the other thing is that if you were to bring 600 Roman soldiers into the fortress of Antonia, this is really, really close to the temple. And you're, you're starting to bump up against what the religious elite who kept the people kind of in check, largely, 
would be satisfied with relative to the proximity of that many soldiers. Okay, Because in the temple construct itself, there were places where uh, women could go. There were places where any man could go. There were places where only Jewish men could go. There were places where only Levitical priests could go. And then there were places, there was a, there was a single place where the, only the high priest on one day of the year could go. Right? So you've got these kind of concentric circles of restricted access. So getting really close to that puts this kind of political-ish pressure on these religious elite. So the idea that all of this would have happened on the other side of town makes a lot more sense from a geography perspective. So just wanted to cover that. Some of you have maps in the back of your Bibles, and you're like, they'll zoom in on the city of Jerusalem, and that's, that's what's going on here, right? You can actually follow these events as you cross town. So I don't know what you had in your mind when you're reading through the Bible and you, you see the passages that talk about Jesus being mocked and spit on and hit and all these different things, but it wasn't like three or four guys who had nothing to do. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. Okay? So this is, this is the mindset. This is the, the setting, the scene here that I, would, I want you to have in your head. So let's, let's continue on with uh, verse 17. And they clothed him in a purple cloak. You may be thinking, well, who cares what color it was, right? Like, what? Why do we care what color it was? Purple's rare. It was, ex- it was expensive. It's what? Denotes royalty. That's exactly right. Yeah, if you wanted to make fun of somebody who was claiming to be a king, you put him in kingly clothes, right? So they drummed up some purple clothes. I would have imagined if you're sitting in Herod's palace, they probably had access to some stuff, right? So this seems easy from a proximity perspective. So they clothed him in a purple cloak. And... And twisting together a crown of thorns. All right, so let's go forward to Dave. So the the, Rome, the, the Greek word for this is a stephanos. Um, it's the, the champions the champions crown, if you will. Uh, and I actually got this picture off of Wikipedia, uh, and it's a little tricky. If you're online, you might not be able to see it very clearly. But this is a a crown of like leaves and flowers, and like to to Jim personally, this would be the like I want to sneeze looking at this. Right, this is like the worst that you, do not reward me with plants. Okay, like that is that's a hard pass, guys. All right, like I don't I don't know what anybody has up their sleeve at any given time. I don't want plants. All right, and certainly don't affix them to my head. Like, what in the world? Right, this is not cool. All right, so I want you to. Oh, that's weird. If I stand right here, it looks like I'm wearing it. <laughs> that's super awkward. You look good. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. Um, so they've so they've put him in this purple cloak. They've put him. They've put together this this crown, this chaplet. It's what you'd win in the games, right? So you win a race. You get this crown, and, and like they were intentional about their choice of materials because how long is a crown made of flowers going to last? 
Not very long at all, right? Not very long at all. Like, and the, the idea here is that all of this is fleeting. All of this doesn't last, right? So let's go ahead and go to the next slide, Dave. Because um, that's wigging me out with the... I can see it when I look down, and it's like, it's just, it's very weird. It's very, yeah, somebody's taken, somewhere, uh, Chris Arnold has taken a screenshot, and I now have a new profile picture on Facebook, right? He's hacked me. Yep, and Sean's texting him now. Sorry, dang it. Shouldn't have said that out loud. All right, so we got it. So they're twisting together, not just a crown of flowers, but a crown of thorns. You're like, well, well, that seems awful. Yeah, Absolutely. This would be a crown of, and I'm not going to go into all the detail about what the, we think the plants were and the, this. And it's just, this would have been thorns, so they're, they're weaving it together. Remember, there's, there's 600 of them. So, Mitch, let me ask you a question. Um, one soldier, can one soldier on his own get into trouble? Yeah. When you add additional soldiers... Does the, does the mayhem level go up or down? Exponential growth, yeah. So if you've got 600 who are here for the express purpose of we're about to, we're going to guard this guy, and they would think that this was a crap assignment too. Just, let's just be really clear, right? This is not the, the best and highest use of my time as a soldier. So, like, they're getting creative, and I want you to notice what doesn't happen. What doesn't happen is that nobody in the religious elite looks at this and says, this is a sinful way to treat a prisoner. Nobody in the political elite says, this is, a, this is an evil way to treat, this is not justice, right? Nobody, nobody's stepping in to defend Jesus. Nobody's doing this. Right? So they gather together a crown of thorns, and they put it on him, which would instantly cause what? So what's going on in his head now? Yeah, he's bleeding, right? So he's bleeding. So let's, I, want you, I, want to, I want to walk you through it because there's an order to this, and I think the order matters. So he's, he's wearing, they, took, they took his uh, clothes off, and they've invested him with uh, purple clothes. Um, they've got the crown of thorns on him, so he's wearing something that's not his. He's, he's bleeding, and the, the blood would then have started to go into his eyes. And I don't know if you've ever gotten blood in your eyes. It is sticky. It is awful. It is not cool. You cannot see well. And you really have a difficult time discerning what is immediately around you. Right? So if you're familiar with boxing or any type of fighting, you get blood in your eyes. Like the, the referee generally would step in and help you clean that out. Or sometimes, many times, they'll stop the fight because you can no longer defend yourself because you don't know what is coming at you. Right? So this is the state that he's in at this point. So verse 18, and they began to salute him. So another really tricky, I say this sarcastically, uh, word to translate for the uh, translators here, so to enfold in the arms, to hug, or to salute. Right? So this is mockery, so we're adding to the mockery. They began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. <clears throat> now this was a present active imperative. So this would have been going on repeatedly and repeatedly. And repeatedly, and repeatedly. Because remember, there's hundreds and hundreds of soldiers around. So very likely not just one soldier doing this. Very likely lots and lots and lots of soldiers doing this. Could have been doing it in unison even at various times. So hail, king of the Jews. And again, this is the charge against him. Verse 19. And they were striking him 
They were striking his head with a reed. Now, what's on his head? The thorns, right? And the reed here, we don't know exactly what kind of plant this was. It's a, the Greek word is kalamos, which just kind of means it's super generic. It's not like, a, like oh, we know exactly what... Uh, I'm having flashbacks to freshman science class. Kingdom, phylum, I don't know. We don't know what species it was, right? We just know it was some type of a stick. It's the same word that's used later on in Mark chapter 15 when they put this uh, sponge filled with sour wine, they put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. So it was strong enough to hold something that was sopping wet and to lift it up several feet into the air. So if you have in your mind like the switch that your mama beat you with when you were little, that's not what this is. This would have been much closer to an actual stick than like something that would be flexible. No, 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 this is something to be very, very stiff. So they're striking him, and this is a plural imperfect, which means multiple people are doing it multiple times repeatedly. They're striking his head with the reed, and like, I didn't get involved in fights when I was a kid because I was a scrawny math nerd, and I I had to like talk my way out of things as like. these were not helpful to me in any situation, right? This was just, this was not going to be an asset of mine. Uh, so I have never actually been physically punched in the head or the face. But I can't imagine how tough this would be to have trained Roman soldiers who were bored with nothing better to do and hundreds of them coming at you with a reed hitting you on the head. And, you know, there's, there's more here. Spitting on him. And again, this is the plural imperfect. So I'm going to remind us real quick of Jesus' prophecies back in Mark 10, 34. In 33, he says, See to his disciples, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over the chief priests and the scribes, that happened. And they will condemn him to death, that happened. And will deliver him over to the Gentiles, that happened. And they will mock him, that happened. And spit on him. Do you... He knew. And he still went forward with his obedience to the Father. So we see it here in 1465. We saw it in 1465, we also see it in 1519. This spitting on him. And they're they're not quite done yet. So one more thing. And kneeling down. The Greek is super awkward here. It's it's basically, uh, it basically means to to place the knee. And it doesn't tell you where it's placing the knee, but there's really only place you would put a knee to show that you were mocking somebody if you were doing this. So kneeling to him in homage to him. Again, another plural imperfect. This is repeatedly being done. This word only shows up two times in Mark's gospel. Uh, it shows up in Mark chapter 5, verse 6, where the demon-possessed man comes out and kneels down in front of Jesus. And then it happens again when the soldiers are mocking Jesus at the end of the book. So this word has a seriously negative connotation because it's immediately associated with demonic activity, which I would argue... Uh, might not be too far off from the activity that's taking place with Jesus right here. 
So just to recap, so they've stripped him of his clothes, they've put a purple cloak on him, they've got the crown of thorns on him, they're saluting him, they're shouting at him, they're striking him on the head with a reed, they're spitting on him, they're kneeling down in front of him in mockery, right? And then verse 20, and when they had mocked, again, plural, again, this is something that they had, uh, they stripped him and they mocked, I mean, it's just, it's horrible, horrible. What do they do here? They stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. Now, has anybody, have you ever had a physical injury or you're recovering? So Dave, I know this is going like, to speak directly to you. You had a physical injury, you're recovering from surgery, and you've got some part of your body that hurts, and then you need to get changed, right? Y'all know what that feels like. It's just, it is not comfortable. Now, Imagine you're going to get changed into somebody else's clothes. Well, that's not going to fit very well, right? Now, remember, all of this takes place after the what from last week? After the scourging, right? So he's already completely and totally shredded. I mean, his, his skin, his muscles would have been significantly damaged. Now we're going to do all this just mocking so we take this clothes off, we put other clothes on, we take those clothes off, we put his old clothes back on. And now we start the walk to the cross. And the thought crossed my mind because I, I try to picture these things from the perspective of multiple different participants. I think it's a helpful uh, study exercise. Like, what was Jesus doing during all of this? Like, what was he actively doing? He was taking it. How do we know? It seems like he took it here, right? Oh, infinite ability and cosmic power? Yeah. Oh, okay. I wouldn't have caught that that was from Aladdin, but cool. That's no, awesome. I, I butchered it. Oh. <laughs> if he wanted to step out of it, he could have. That's right. Easily. So the fact that it's still going on means he's taking That's right. Himself. Is there anywhere in Scripture that tells us what he was doing here? Well, yeah. Say it again. Silent before his shears, yes. Anywhere else in Scripture? The other Gospels haven't. I want to have us go to Isaiah 53. Because there's a little bit going on in Isaiah. <laughs> there's a lot going on in Isaiah. And I'm going to read Isaiah 53. So who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground and had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds 
We are what? You see, we skip past some of the stuff before the cross, but the stuff before the cross is part of our healing too. With his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And this is the verse that I wanted to focus on. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that's led to the slaughter and like a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. What was Jesus doing while all this was going on? He's fulfilling prophecy. That's exactly right. Now, I, I don't know. I, I can't imagine how hard it would have been to experience any aspect of what he went through, but all of it together combined with opened not his mouth. Now, we live in a very different time culturally, obviously, than the first century. Um, but wow, open not his mouth. The obedience level here, yes. exactly right yeah yeah they were they would very likely have been looking for some type of a reaction from all of this effort that they were doing and getting none from Jesus is not going to placate them and make them feel like oh yeah we're, I guess we're good now no, no 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 like it he confounded Pilate through his lack of engagement with Pilate right think of many times all the way through the gospels Jesus is accused of something and he just doesn't respond he's like well this is like this is a distraction to the path that I am actually on and the obedience that I've been called to. But the reality is, his not responding to this was also part of his obedience. Like, it's just amazing to me. So let's finish Isaiah 53. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living stricken for the grand transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, Make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. It, it, it almost feels like Isaiah was told what was going to happen. <laughs> amazing. So what was Jesus doing during all this? He was fulfilling prophecy. All right, so let's look at some uh, application and personalizations. So Julie, we're running ahead because you've been quiet, so just FYI. My wife is in the room this morning, for those of you online, so kind of excited about that. 
Uh, so application number one, and if, if you filled out uh, applications and personalizations from last week's, these are going to be shockingly similar, okay? Uh, number one, prophecies about the Messiah were fulfilled in Jesus Christ because he is the Messiah. His prophecies about the Messiah were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So what do we do with that? Believe our Lord Jesus Christ was the Messiah because he was. I can only imagine Isaiah's surprise when he got to heaven and saw how things actually turned out and went, oh, like that's what all that? Wow, it's incredible. Application number two, Jesus' prophecies were fulfilled. So his prophecies about himself were fulfilled. Which seems to me to be just an unnecessary addition of complexity that Jesus added to the whole situation. But... You know, he made all things. I think he's got this figured out. So, so Jesus' prophecies were fulfilled. So uh, personalization number two, believe our Lord Jesus Christ was a prophet because he was. And then number three, this is where it's going to shift a bit from last week. Jesus is our model of biblical, suffer- of biblical suffering. Jesus is our model of biblical suffering. Because I promise you guys, my initial swag at suffering is I need to tweet about this or I need to post this. I need somebody else to see what I'm going through, right? And, and this is not a swag at anybody that has posted anything in the last whatever on Facebook. Don't, I don't care. Um, but Jesus is our model of biblical suffering. So what do we do with that? So look to Jesus and imitate him. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying if you need help, don't ask for help. If you need help, open your mouth and let us know. We'd like to help, right? But this is suffering for the cause of Christ. So look to Jesus and imitate him. So the question that I asked you earlier this lesson is, what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? So what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? Yes, ma'am. Well, very much kind of what you just said. He has uh, given me a desire to help those who are suffering. Hmm. And so with that, I just want to make a quick announcement. Yay. Amy. Thank you. Good. That was, what a, what a great segue. Yes. Well done. Excellent. Wonderful. Perfect, perfect, perfect. So for those of you online that may not have heard all that, uh, what Jessica is, oh, Amy heard it. She said thank you. So that was cool. So apparently it came through. I won't repeat it all. Awesome. And we'll post a link to the mill train in the, in the, this thing on Facebook too. So, sorry. I forget nouns sometimes. I practice all this other stuff. I don't practice this kind of stuff. So, you know, it's just, <laughs> you're looking at me funny. I'm telling you. <laughs> 
You didn't. You don't have to. It's like a half a dozen of you in this room. They don't have to say a word. I just just look, and I'm like, okay, yep. I'll leave that alone. All right, so what else is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? Anybody else? Dave, I'm going to have you uh, sit the chair down. Thank you, sir. So. <laughs> You're making me nervous there, brother. <laughs> I'm, I know you need the other knee done. I don't want it to have to be done that way. So. <laughs> Let's keep this thought in our minds as we go through today and the week. And as we finish up, and I think the next 10-ish uh, or so lessons in the Gospel of Mark. So we're going to have to start having a, like a countdown clock up here or something like that. I don't know. Oh, speaking of countdown, uh, today is the 14th anniversary of our Sunday school. So uh, kudos. That's kind of awesome. Uh, this room looked nothing like it did when we moved in here 14 years ago. Uh, it was horrible, and it smelled funny too, so I'm, I'm glad that it, it doesn't look bad or smell funny now either, so that's great. But um, thank you guys for those of you that have uh, been with us for any portion of that journey, so it's been awesome. And uh, who knows how long we'll be in here, I have no idea, but uh, looking forward to whatever the Lord allows us to do in that space. So you should have a weekly update at your table, uh, so if you do, go ahead and uh, make sure your names are at the bottom of that. Uh, my attendance taker is back today, so uh, attendance will likely be done correctly today. So it may or may not have been done incorrectly in the past. But uh, if you have any prayer requests, please put those down. Uh, obviously be praying for uh, Miss Amy uh, in her recovery, uh, and then be on the lookout for the meal train as it comes around. But once you are finished putting your name down, writing your prayer requests, uh, take a minute and pray uh, for these requests. And then once you do, you are free to go and to worship the one by whose wounds we are healed. So let's not forget what Jesus did for us. Thanks for coming today, guys. Thanks for engaging. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, YouTube channel, and weekly email. You can subscribe to all three of those at OurSundaySchool.com. Grace and peace to you.